I'm going to get to Numbers 14 today, but I'm, um, and it's the story of um, where the spies had been sent into the land, they came back, 10 of them brought a bad report, and then the people process that and decide we can't do this, and just the repercussions of that, but also look at it and say, what does that mean to us? Now, Hebrews helps define some of that, but uh, I'd like to walk through. First, I'd like to start with Hebrews 11, though, and just uh, make a definition of faith as it states. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. And all of us want commendation from the Lord, right? And so there's this awareness that Faith is a, a critical component of that. Um, what happened in this story was that if you were reading it straight through, in the 13th chapter, the Lord had told Moses, send out 12 spies, men of uh, good report or men of stature in the community. So in other words, the, the guys that went out, when they came back, they would be listened to. And the 12 went out, and one from each tribe, and as they came back, they carried with them some of the produce of the land. And in fact, it says two men carried a cluster of grapes. So it must have been pretty impressive. They put it on a pole, and uh, the, for two of them to be carrying it, uh, you, would, you would say that most likely was a substantial harvest. So they came back, and, and they made the report. And, uh, you know, they, they brought the said it's a land of milk and honey, which agriculturally means it was fantastic, okay? But they said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and large, and we saw descendants of Anak there. That, that would be the giants from of old. And so they're going, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic place. But there's some real troubles ahead. And I guess what I'd like to note is that when we talk about walking by faith in the Lord, there always comes this critical moment where we have to decide, am I going to go forward or not? And we have to look at things and say, well, there might be some huge obstacles here, but do I believe that the Lord wants me to walk through that obstacle or is this just too much to take on? If we do this without asking of the Lord, generally the obstacles win anyway. It's kind of like when, we, uh, when we're trying to think, well, yeah, I'd like to help others and do for others, and you know, I'd like to provide some money for others to do this and that. If we look at just what's in the bank account before praying and asking of the Lord, we can talk ourselves out of that virtually every time. And yet, there is this critical component that says, what does God want in this? And so that's what I, I want to walk through with this story. So they, uh, they, they say there's some huge obstacles that we need to be aware of. But Caleb stands up and, and tries to, to say things differently. You know, and, and he, he says, we can do this. And essentially, the others come back and say, 
And at this point, they're starting to move into exaggeration about the obstacles themselves. They say the land which we've gone to spout is a land that devours its inhabitants. So <laughs> they've gone from large cities and, and difficult people to overcome to say, this place will eat you up. And then they go on to say, and all the people are of great height. They saw a few giants, you know, like Goliath's size, but now they're saying everyone is on that. So exaggeration steps in, and they've already convinced themselves, we can't do this. The question comes up at that point then for the people, who are you going to believe? You know, Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua are all saying God is in this. God has promised this. Now, the leaders in the community that had gone in and said, no, we can't. And so this is this critical moment where they have to decide, what are we going to do? Well, it says of the people that they started despairing and sorrowing, and they raised a loud cry, they wept all night, and then they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron and wish that they had died in Egypt or the wilderness. That's nuts, right? But it's like, why do we want to go there and die? We might as well just die here. Or at least we could go back to Egypt where it was familiar. Even though we were in slavery and even though we desperately wanted to get out of there, you know, at least it was something that we knew. And that challenge is rising up. And, you know, I guess I would say that there's a sequence that goes with this unbelief. And it's like, Initial fear, this is unknown, this is bigger than what we were expecting, this isn't quite the way that we envision things, and then it moves into a form of unbelief saying this is too much for us. And then the next natural step after that is the complaining. Why are we even at this place? Why do we, what were they thinking? You know, uh, I guess where this strikes me, because I, I very seldom register whether I'm afraid of something or not. And I certainly don't like to proclaim unbelief over my life. I, you know, that's ungodly. So we don't talk about unbelief. Complaining? Now and then I catch myself doing it. You know, it's one of those wake-up moments and... Ultimately, I guess what I'm asking you is that if you find yourself in that complaining mode, why? And is it built off of fear and unbelief? You know, and it's just part of the next step or process of that. It's interesting, if, if we follow through with this story, next they begin, you know, they're complaining about why are we here, then it turns on others, because we've got to blame someone else rather than ourselves, Right? And so they turn on their leaders, and then they turn on God, which ultimately, all complaining does go to God. You know, if he's, if he's really guiding our steps in the processes of our lives, well then, ultimately, he's the one that has allowed this situation to exist and, and placed us here. And so, you know, when we're, when we're looking at this, you know, fear, unbelief, complaining turning on others, and then complaint against God, or even and become adversarial toward him. 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones would become prey. It'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. It's a God, he, he just want to destroy us. God love us? It doesn't look like it in this moment. You know, I, I, we've talked about all the goodness of God, but sorry, <laughs> must have forgotten me. That's how we step into these things. It's interesting, too. It's not just us. It, it, it's our wives and our kids. You know, I, I do this except that I'm afraid for the little ones. You know, I, 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 could, I could walk into this, but, oh, you know, their lives are so tender. And, and God, how could he take care of them? They're so fragile. I mean, <laughs> we walk through those things. And, and, and we, you know, we want to just set it aside. But if we're going to learn from the Scripture and learn from passages like this, then we have to be willing to break them down, address it, and then say, okay, how's it fit here? Um, so they, you know, the death of the dream is taking place. They say, we should just find another leader and head back to Egypt. That would be the best choice. At least there we, we would be comfortable. We would know that there would be food. We'd have to be in slavery, but it's still, you know, we'd, we'd be taken care of. And I guess I wonder how often do we, are we willing to put ourselves back into slavery and take on the things that aren't of God just because they're comfortable. That can happen a lot of times in regard to family training or even cultural training where we've learned a way of doing things. And it's as if God offers us something different and we're going, but that's kind of scary. You know, for me to live differently would mean in a sense, turning away from all that's been familiar, turning away from, from doing things like I used to. That's one of the struggles I've had even in trying to get rid of, well, <laughs> we've talked about biting humor. That was ingrained in my family and, and trained into us. And then you, you get into a family setting and you're trying to keep your mouth shut, and others are still taking their shots. And you're going, I could do better than you. And I have a great insult. And to just shut your mouth is near impossible. You know, I could step back into this. I can sling it just as well as anyone else. But in this moment, I'm going to be seen as weak. And pride kicks in. I don't want to be seen as weak. You know, and, and there's that challenge. Am I going to step away from this family training or my cultural training and I'm going to do what I know is right even though I don't have words to speak differently? haven't learned how to compliment yet or how to <laughs> speak life. I'm just good at insult. You know, that, that kind of thing, it, 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 it takes a step of faith profoundly influenced by one of our friends in Illinois who had become a Christian, been three or four years into it, and said, 
my family grew up, it was manly to get drunk. And I don't know that I can live as a man without getting drunk. I, I don't know how to be a man and not step into that culture. He says, I, I want to follow Christ, but how do I, how do, I do this? My, our, our family get-togethers and settings were all built around this. How do I disassociate from that? Uh, and, and each of us has our things that way where we've learned to spend time and learned how to, to get along and, and yet there are moments when God calls to us and says, I have a great new place for you. Yeah, there's some obstacles, but it, it, at the end of the day, you're going to be very happy that you stepped into this. And the challenge comes up, do I dare? Can I... Can I trust him enough to live differently than I've ever lived? Caleb's response is, is amazing. The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. He didn't miss the goodness in spite of, because of the obstacles. He just he continued to keep vision and say, this is the potential of what our lives hold or what's in store for us. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear. The people, they're, they're bred for us. Their protection's removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So he says, God delights in us. He's protecting us. He's removed the, uh, the protection over their lives. Don't be afraid. Well, um, things get a little more intense. In fact, the people talk of stoning Moses and Aaron for even bringing them out there and showing them the dream. And uh, Moses and Aaron, it says they fall face down on the ground, which is like the ultimate sign of submission and yielding. And it's almost like they're saying, except for God, we don't know what to do. Um, you know, <laughs> you ever watch a... a and this is an aside, but when you watch like a, a police story or something on TV and they say, get on the ground, what's that all about? Put yourself in a place of weakness where you can't strike back. In a sense, this falling prostrate before the Lord is saying, I can't do anything. You're going to be after the one that picks me up and takes care of this. So in that setting... Um, the glory of the Lord intervenes. You know, the cloud has been falling, but apparently it descends and, and the people back off. And, uh, you know, they've, they've truly become adversarial to the Lord's plans in that moment. At this point, God gets angry. And uh, that's something we need to look at as well. He says, for the 10 who brought back their bad report, they're going to get there's going to be pestilence. They're going to die. Done with them. He says, as for the people that have been complaining, I'm going to disinherit them. And he says, Moses, I'll get rid of the whole group and build through you. He's, you know, I, I, God gets fed up, right? That's something that we need to at least be aware of. 
And it has to do with their unbelief in his goodness. Now Moses comes back and he says, remember, you've been with us. You've been traveling with us. You know, your cloud of fire has been with us all the time. People around the area know about that. There's a stamp on you of, of having God's name about you. And, and he says, the Egyptians are going to hear about this if you put everybody to death. And they're going to say their God wasn't strong enough to get them into the land. It's an interesting argument. Work against God's pride. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I just... I find it interesting that God's remind, Moses is reminding God about his goodness. And he says, this, essentially he says, this will be bad PR for you. You don't want to do this. But then he goes on to say, and he quotes the experience that he'd had on the mount where he'd asked God, show me who you are. And God had spoken to him, and Moses has had this profound experience in the Lord. And he goes back and he quotes this to God. And he says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, to the third and fourth generation. He said, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love. So he says, you told me that, and I believe it. And in some ways, when we read the scripture, we need to believe it as well. Well, he says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you've forgiven the people from Egypt until now. Lord says, I'll pardon them. But he says, they will never enter the land. So this tragedy takes place because of their unbelief. He says, they've seen my glory and my signs over and over. Yet they've tested me 10 times. He says, I have continually been providing and caring, and yet they're all the time griping. They've despised me and disobeyed me. They shall not see it. And he just makes this point. He says, now my sermon, Caleb, he's different. He has a different spirit about him. He, he will go in and possess it. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Here's the bottom line. God does not like complaining. Okay? Just, he does not like complaining. And so that's something that we need to place in our hearts and just say, okay. That should not be a part of my life. Now, he goes on and says, I'll let everybody 20 and under, you know, the children that you said were going to die out here, the little ones that you were afraid of, he says, they're all going to go into the land. I'm going to give the land to them. So your descendants will have this. And Caleb and Joshua, because they've been faithful, they will go in as well. Let's jump to Hebrews and read part of the the follow-through as the New Testament writer was looking at this story. Hebrews 3, 15 and 16. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt with Moses? 
He goes on to say, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? So they didn't get it all together even in that next generation. But um, he says, was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? So there is a litter <laughs> taking place. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see because they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while this promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard not did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So again, there's that, that call to faith to walk as God has called us. I, before, I have one last verse. But uh, I want to I mention one story that almost goes against this. There's a parable in Matthew 21 where Jesus talks about two sons who the father said, I, I want you to go work for me today. And the first son says, no, not going to do it. Later, he changes his mind and goes. The second son says, oh, of course I'll do it, and then doesn't go. Jesus asked, well, who is, he, who is the father pleased with? Well, the son that said no and, and yet still went. And, and he's talking about, in that setting, he's talking about those who have refused God's ways but then respond to him. And I found it amazing that, you know, we can read a passage like this or those who, who function in unbelief and say, will God ever give me another opportunity? And in a sense, this story in regard to salvation says, even though you said no, you make the turn, you'll be received. So it's just kind of a little side note that it's worth looking at and mentioning. So they did spend the 40 years in the wilderness unnecessarily. They wandered in trouble and distress and in a harsh place missing out on the goodness of God because their faith had not allowed them to step into the fullness of what God had for them. They had, been, they had allowed fear to take over, transitioned into unbelief, and out of that came the complaining and finally a, a direct adversity to what God had said. Those are something that we note even about our own lives where you actually get angry over what had been a promise. Without faith, this is Hebrews 11, it is impossible to please him. Wherever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Lord, help us to walk by faith. Help us to accept promises that you brought into our lives even though they seem so impossible to attain. Help us to trust you to step forward and believe that you will provide all that is necessary. Help us to walk in confident faith, trusting you. Amen. What fears do you need to conquer? Is there a fear of your relationships that if you do what you know is right, that it just won't work anyway? What about your health? Has God given you some promises? 
he asking you to go see someone and you're not sure what to do? You know, all of those things are challenges in, in, in the Lord that we have to step forward and say, I will trust you. We have opportunity for victory as we walk forward into that. That's when we see the hand of God in a powerful way. I pray that you'll be strong in faith. If you'd like prayer later on, there's opportunity, particularly up front. But, uh, I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk by faith, not by sight. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.